All of a sudden, your kid is home all day, every day. Then the school tells you, we're not going to open back up. And if you are not good at avoiding the news, you're now realizing that this could be something that could last the next year, two years, 10 years. We don't know how this is going to change. And I know that some parents right now are recognizing that their kids are actually doing better with school being online. My brother, who is a teacher, for example, his, his own kids are saying, I have more time. I have more time with my family. I have more time to play. I'm, I'm watching older kids. They're done with school by 10 o'clock. And then what? They're, they're outside with their walking the dog. They're playing video games. They're... So there is a blessing curse thing taking place here with school having to go online. And I think a real question is, what is going to be the future of what happens next with school? What if for the next 10 years, what if this generation of kids is the first homeschool generation in centuries? Well, let's let's talk to teachers who run online school. These, these are not just teachers. Anjali and Sarah have founded an online school called Mountain Points Academy. We connected on LinkedIn, I think it was, because I run a school and we've just had to bring an online credit repair component. I don't, I don't like our kids in treatment being online all day. So it's very tightly monitored, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But we know that a teenager with a computer in front of them can cause more harm than good. And this might be what's next for school. How, as parents, do we navigate this? Let's find out. Let's let's figure this one out together because I don't think any of us are going to figure it out separately. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. I'm your host, Aaron Huey. Thank you for joining me on this episode. My guest today is Anjali Harris and Sarah Lloyd from Mountain Points Academy. Thanks for having thank us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having us. All right, so let's let's start with the who the heck are you and what the heck are you doing? All the things, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> so Sarah and I have actually known each other for quite a while, and we've had the opportunity to work together um, with two other separate online programs. And, you know, just through our experiences there, you know, we kept brainstorming and thinking, yeah, how can we take this to the next level? How can we make online education more effective for students so that they're still getting that, you know, personalized attention, that interaction, the relationship-based you know, coordination as if they were having a teacher right there with them. And so we, you know, kind of just kept honing our skills, learning more and more and decided, hey, let's, let's found Mountain Point Academy. You know, we want it to be that holistic approach for students. We want to give them the hope and help them feel success in academics so that they can find that success in other areas of their lives and, and yeah, have that relationship with them because online can be tricky. You know, some schools just say, okay, hey, here's your class, go for it. They don't get the feedback or the support that they need. And so Sarah and I recognized that there was a, a need for that. And so hence we're here and we've, yeah. <laughs> we've found in Mountain Point and we're continuing to improve on that and, and just help the students with, you know, that relationship-based education and, you know, specific feedback for each student individually, because, you know, I, lo I love what you said, how they're like, oh, now I have more time and, you know, things like that. And, that, and that's exactly what it is. You know, we, we want these students to be able to pursue their passions outside of school and having that flexibility to cater to, you know, students that are more advanced or students that are struggling and just want to get that specialized support. You know, that's, that's really what it's about for us. So, Sarah, I don't yeah, know I mean, yeah, no, that was great. Um, like Ange said, uh, started in online education 10 years ago or so. I went to college for secondary education and changed my major like a million times in between. And so I was one of those kids who just didn't really have direction. I thought I knew what I wanted to do, kind of bounced around, owned a gym and other businesses and thought, what is my passion? I ended up working in online education just by chance then later on in life um, and just got to see all sides of it, you know, from the student side, um, the administrator role, um, ended up then working for a curriculum provider for uh, online schools like we were. 
so saw that other perspective on how the curriculum is actually developed, which was really interesting. Finally circled back, worked for another online high school. And just after, like Angelia was saying, just after all that experience, we were noticing and realizing that many online schools were kind of missing the boat. Um, they weren't really student-centered, um, tended to focus on things like profits and viewing students more as a number where you just, you enroll them in a course and off you go. You're on your own now. It's work at your own pace and we'll see you when you're done. <laughs> and having been in the trenches and working with students and seeing what, you know, the successes and the failures, it was like, okay, how can, how can we make this better? There's got to be a better way where the school itself can still be successful when you look at it from a business standpoint, but yet the focus is the student, you know? And so we're like, all right, how can we do this differently? In every decision that we make, we, we make sure the student is at the center of that. Yeah, so here we are. <laughs> here we are talking to you about our online school. <laughs> yeah, and, and I want to ask, because as you guys are talking, I'm, you know, the questions are starting to come to me. The, my, my listeners' voices in my head start to say, well, what about, well, what about? So let's start with the, the question, how does online school fail children? All right. We're very critical of the education system. We can't blame teachers because they're, they're literally the soldiers out on the front line. So we look to the principals and we look to the superintendents and we look to the policymakers and we look to all these things that the trickle down effect is we've got overcrowded classrooms. We've got outdated curriculum. We have underpaid uh, soldiers who are, who are doing this literally for the love of the job because you can never accuse them of doing it for the money. And so, so, and there, it's overwhelmed. We're expecting these teachers to be counselors. We're expecting them to be bodyguards. We're expecting them to be all this type of stuff. So before we, we kind of, before we glorify online school and what it could be and what you guys have created, let's understand how online school has failed so that parents can not just be consumers of online curriculum for their children, but actually become critics and make educated choices about choosing an online program. So talk about the failings of online school. Yeah, so I wanna start off by saying that it's actually very easy to start an online school. Yes. <laughs> which, which is a problem because- that, 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 is, that is easily one of the failings right yeah, there. Exactly. Yes, number so, one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's easy to start an online school. You open up, you, know, you start an LLC. You, it's, it's actually very easy. So the process of starting a school is simple it's okay, what do, we, what do we do after that point? So because of that, we know that there are a lot of schools that we, in, in this field, we call credit mills. Um, and basically it, it promises, it over promises to students like, hey, you can get your diploma in you know, four weeks and things like that, where um, students are maybe just taking a test and they're being issued a diploma. So that's one major flaw is there, there isn't a shortcut. Students still have to do work and have to put in the time and effort. And so if parents are, are researching online schools and something seems too good to be true, most likely it is. The process of accreditation is something to really look into. Going along with where it's very easy to start a school, it's not very easy to, be, to become accredited by an institution that is um, a reputable accrediting body. So this process took us quite a while, probably. I mean, we started from the time um, we opened the school preparing for our first accreditation review, and we just recently got accredited in January of 2020. So most of the time, it's at least a two-year process to get accredited. And that's an outside auditor looking at every aspect of your school, um, from how you interact with the students, what type of curriculum you provide, um, the financial viability of the school, is this, is this school sustainable? Because they don't want to accredit a school that's here today, gone tomorrow. They want to make sure that an online school is here to stay and they're investing in their students and, and continually working to improve upon their practices and what they're doing. So I think that's a huge thing to look for from a, a parent standpoint is research accreditation, find out what the different types of accreditation are and how that you know, and how that plays into everything. Can you, um, can you guys give parents a couple accreditation organizations that are valid? And if they see it, they can, they can feel a little bit more secure and, and trusting? For regional accreditation, 
or state accreditation, those are usually the best. Most public schools are going to be accredited through the state. Um, private schools usually aren't accredited through the state. They're accredited through a regional accrediting body. And there are also other accrediting bodies that accredit like religious schools and stuff like that that are also very reputable. Mm -hmm. uh, we happen to be regionally accredited. So places like Northwest Accreditation Commission, Southern Association of Colleges and Schools, um, all these are regional accrediting bodies. Um, actually, a parent company, Cognia, is over many of those. And a regional accreditation is great because your credits are easily transferable to any school you go to. So if you're working with a, a non-accredited school, I mean, is it possible for a non-accredited school to be a quality school? Yes. Sure. You can, you can choose not to become accredited as a school, and that doesn't mean that you're not doing things right. It's just now by being accredited, it's almost that stamp of approval where other schools, now I'm maybe I'm taking online classes, I want to transfer back to another school or maybe back to my brick and mortar school. It's very easy Smooth when sailing. I'm totally accredited. <laughs> yeah. Where are you guys accredited through? Through Cognia, which is, you know, the parent company of several of those regional accrediting um, institutions like Northwest and Southeast and some of the ones that are mentioned. So in addition to the credit repair program that we're just starting to fire up, we're accredited through Advanced Ed, which is a national accreditation organization. They do a lot of private schools, especially high schools and stuff like that. And, and a teacher I want to talk about later who's a dear friend of mine and his experience of going to being like the, the favorite teacher at school because of his connection with the kids that face-to-face -face that he teaches the martial arts and the sex ed and the drama and hero's journey in English. And now it's all online. And this guy barely knows how to answer his phone. And so we'll get to that one in a minute. But, but I'm, uh, uh, so we, we've got, we've got uh, uh, Cognia, you said? Yeah, oh, which actually is Advanced Ed. So Advanced Ed recently rebranded, re and they're now Cognia. So we're oh. also accredited through hey, guess Advanced, what, honey? Ed, Advanced Ed is now Cognia. <laughs> <laughs> I just yeah. found that out and just told yeah. my wife, and she's like, "Yeah, I know that." Like, oh, okay, there you go. She did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so when we started the process, they were Advanced Ed, and then they kind of were going through their rebranding and merging with another um, company, Measured Progress, to create okay. Cognia. Cognia. And so great. Now, that's how they were born. <laughs> okay. So then I, so I have a good idea of a lot of the standards yeah. you guys under under, cause we're under yeah. the same stand. Exactly. Um, yeah. Now, historically online school now have been, has been uh, uh, something that's been saved for kids who are struggling in the public platform. You know, that the anxiety or the depression or their grades have tanked so much they do credit repair or they get they they failed so they're doing it over the summer or they just stopped going. They ended up in a treatment program that didn't offer school and to catch up when they go home, they're back on school. So is there, do you guys feel, having created an online program, is there a stigma of this is what troubled kids do? Um, I think a little bit. Yeah. You know, they think, oh, I'm here because I was bullied or I have, you know, mental health issues or whatever else is going on in their lives. Um, but I think, you know, now with with the state of the world, with school and the future of schools being unknown, you know, it's going to open up those doors to, well, you know, what if you have an immunocompromised kid or what if your kid just like you said, you know, totally thrived in this online setting separate from the brick and mortar school. It's really for you know, any kid that's advanced, a normal student or struggling or, you know, whatever their, whatever their affiliation is, you know, it's, it can be that flexible thing. And I think that's the beauty of online school as well is that it gives them a chance to kind of go at their own pace. So versus, you know, being in a school where they're forced to keep up with the pace of what the teacher's teaching, this gives them an opportunity to, hey, I'm bored. I already know this material. Maybe I can jump ahead and finish my class faster or, hey, I'm struggling with this concept, let's review it again and kind of, you know, slow it down to their pace. And so that's the beauty of, again, the online program is that it doesn't have to be only for struggling students. It can be for anybody and the motivation level is what can cause them to, you know, continue their success and basically just get as much done as they're able to within the time they're willing to dedicate to the program. What, what you mentioned, I want to piggyback off that, if that's okay. Erin, um, in the very beginning when you're talking about students who, you know, are only doing a couple hours of school and then now they have their entire day to, to do, to pursue other passions and 
learn in other ways. We're a huge uh, supporter of experiential learning. And in your traditional brick and mortar setting, sometimes that is stifled a little bit where you're- Well, that, that's literally stifled by budgetary yes. constraints. Yes. Exactly. Like, like it can only be as experiential as they have money for it and schools don't have money. Exactly. Yeah. Like the arts are cut, shop, you know, home ec, all of those classes are just gone. And everything you need. Exactly. Yeah. And, and we recognize the value in those. We're like, hey, part of school is to help you become a successful adult, right? So yeah, take those skills, get this experiential learning. And we actually offer credit for, you know, those experiences. So if they're taking music classes or they have a job outside of school, you know, we can give work study credit, we can give music credit. And, and yeah, we recognize the value in those experiences to help their education and just help them develop as a human being <laughs> as well. Okay. So it seems to me that as, as we're talking about some of the, some of the struggles, it's alluding to some of the things that, that can make online school successful, whether or not it was for troubled kids at one point, it's for everybody now. And, yes. and there's, there's very little choice in that. If the schools are making a call and, and trying to protect the health of the children, regardless of political and religious beliefs, your kids at home. Yep. Now I've noticed a couple things watching my, what I have a, I have a, a soon to be son-in-law who's in college. Suddenly that went online. Uh, my best friend, Jeff Hamilton, who's a teacher of September school in Boulder has been for almost 30 years. He's, he's the beloved teacher and suddenly he's online. And like I said, he could barely answer his phone. No offense, Jeff, but I know you're not listening because you don't know how to listen to a podcast. Technology, right? <laughs> I think he called it tricknology all, nice. all those years. I love teaching. I love teaching online. I love teaching in person, but I have training and being dynamic. I know how to play to a camera. I know how to play to an audience. I know how to play to one person or 10,000 people. That's a skill that I possessed. That is not something that's taught to teachers. Dynamic presentation. You can listen to your math teacher drone on for only so long. And unless you really, really love math and respond to his kind of teaching or her kind of teaching, and now we're supposed to do it while watching a video like how do you guys as uh, um owners of an online school create dynamic presentation that's going to keep these children involved when they're used to flashing images rolling cartoons provocative and edgy uh, um information on a consistent basis and music playing in the background how do you right. how do you compete with that so Something for parents, another thing for parents to understand is there are different ways that online schools are set up. Um, there can be a synchronous environment, which is what you're talking about where the teachers are giving a dynamic pre presentation in, in front of either one or more students in a live setting. There's also an asynchronous environment where there are um, potentially lectures or instruction that's built into the system and students access that at their own time and the teachers play a little bit different role, which is connecting with the students as more of a mentor and providing instruction on an individual basis. So with that information, we actually operate in an asynchronous environment. So. Um, something that helps, I think, with the short attention spans and things like that is we have pre-recorded little nuggets of instruction that students can play in video format. It's interactive, drag and drop, you know, this answer here to test knowledge as the student's going through the instruction. So they're presented with this on their own time. And then we, our teachers, check in with them on a regular basis via video, just like we're doing now, Zoom, uh, whatever, Ring Central meetings, whatever it may be where you're getting that face-to-face -face time with the student, but it's on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And now the teacher can say, okay, what questions did you have? Is there something that I can explain in a different way for you? Because not every student understands by just watching, like you said, a teacher drone on and on about a topic. And so now we're having that, like I said, it's a little bit different relationship now. The teacher's playing more of a mentor role where it's supporting what the student is learning in the classroom, I guess you could call it. Um, does that make sense on what type of environment we offer? It does. And what I'm working on addressing is 
does online school recognize the different learning styles that uh, normal schools were struggling to because of lack of resources? I know, being very ADHD, as an adult and as a kid, that I had to get up and move. I, I, and, and I had to also have opportunities to teach what I was being taught because I don't know something until I teach it, right? And that's just my learning style. I learn by teaching. And, and I'm afraid that online learning is more limiting to learning style. But I don't, I don't have any evidence to back that up. So that's what I'm asking is that how, how many ways can we do this online? And how does a parent find out, oh, that's how my kid learns. So I need to find this type of program. Yeah. No, that's a great question. And I think, you know, yeah, like, like you said, there, I can see how it would feel limiting in the different learning styles, you know, because, yeah, if they're watching a lecture, maybe they're not, a, you know, audio learner, they need to be a visual learner. So how are we breaking this down? How are we helping them out? And I think that is where the role of, you know, the mentor comes in and having those discussions with them weekly. Okay, what worked for you? Were you understanding this? You know, let's set up some additional tutoring for you. And also being able, being cognizant of, well, does this student have a 504? Does the student have an IEP? Do they have ADHD? Do they have anxiety or depression or these things that are tying into their learning style? And then kind of, you know, sitting down with that student and saying, okay, how do you learn best? How can we support you, you know, with this online platform? And I think finding ways, you know, like you said, if there's a student that likes to teach something, you know, having a discussion board open for students to collaborate and work with each other to say, hey, I just went through this class. This is what helped me. Or let's open a discussion about, you know, XYZ, this topic. How did it help you? How did you learn? And kind of, in a sense, creating that community online for students to still kind of connect and then also connecting with that, you know, teacher mentor once a week and seeing where their goals are, checking in with them saying, hey, is, the, is this type of learning working for you? If not, let's come up with a project that might help you learn it a little bit better and, you know, utilizing the resources within the class to do so. Mm-hmm. And part of what we're asked to do as being accredited by Cognia is they want us to keep pushing the boundaries and innovating. And, you know, we sit together with our board of directors and we evaluate student feedback and test results and, you know, everything, every other piece of data that we have to find out is the curriculum that we've chosen working for our students? Is it serving the students? Are they being successful? What can we do differently? Do we need to look at other curriculum options out there completely? Do we need to just add to our repertoire? So these are questions that we are constantly asking because it's a big and important question. Is, is this serving our students? Is this platform working for us? So yeah, feedback from students is, is critical. Is accountability easier or harder um, for the students? I imagine it would be easier because you can literally tell how long they've looked at the material, but you've also got the teachers that you've got to have account, you know, hold accountable. So it seems that the tracking systems are there, but we're already hearing the stories of, of students who are, you know, filming themselves listening uh, and then playing it while as a video on their zoom, like the, 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 the way these kids, we marvel at the way these kids can figure out how to screenshot or, or do a moving picture, uh, and then they could be off doing whatever they wanted in their room. But to the teacher, it looks like they're, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so are you guys finding accountability easier or harder with your students and your teachers? I think it's, I mean, that's a good question because I've been primarily in online education. I can't necessarily compare that to a brick and mortar setting we should have brought in some of our other teachers who have experience in, in both areas <laughs> yes. because they could have uh, offered they some could have answered input. That. But it's, it, in the system that we use, we can see specifically how much time a student has been logged in, which only tells you how much time they were logged in. I mean, that's yeah. what it is. It, like you said, could they be off doing something else? Yes, but we can also see what, how many activities have they completed within that time frame. We know from history that an average student, when working hard on the material, can complete anywhere between three and four of our activities per hour. So now if they have all this idle time, which it does log, our system logs idle time, where they're logged in, but nothing's really happening on the screen. Um, So it does differentiate between that, and we can see what type of work they're submitting, 
we have different styles of activities and projects. So it's a combination of some multiple choice or it might be a written project or a PowerPoint presentation that, that they have to give. We try to get as many different ways of gauging how the student is understanding the material. So from our standpoint, it doesn't necessarily matter if a student is spending, you know, 10 minutes on something or 60 minutes on something. If the quality of the material that they're submitting is there and they're showing an understanding, then that's the kind of the beauty of it is they, they don't have to be logged in for a specific number of hours. Um, you know, we have our averages and what's typically expected of a student, but we're looking at more of the product of, you know, are they comprehending what they're learning? Can they, when we're talking face-to-face, -face, can they have a conversation about their schoolwork? Because that's another way of saying, like, when we're having our weekly meetings and I'm asking you questions about your schoolwork and you can't answer me, now I'm starting to question, is somebody else doing your homework? Are you, what's going on there? Are you just Googling right. all the right. answers? So we have different ways of checking in from different angles to help gauge whether the student is, is truly engaged in the learning and understanding what's being presented. But yeah, that's a great question. Okay, so, so, so now this brings me to another aspect. And, and, I, and I, want to, I want people to understand I'm purposely avoiding the human contact question about online school till the end, because I do believe that's going to be the big one. Yes. Uh, I think that's going to have, I think that's the one that's going to have the most effect. So I want to get through some of these other questions before we spend the meat and potatoes on what about social interaction mm -hmm. and brain development? Like, yes. like that is a big question that everybody's going, I guess we'll see, but let's, let's keep going with this because one of the, 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 uh, cost payoffs to online school that I'm that I'm noticing immediately is the amount of sleep that a teenager is allowed to get because uh, the first thing I knew about what was going on with with my SEP school kids was that all of a sudden they didn't have to get up till ten o'clock and Jeff the teacher was like they're actually ready to learn at 10 o'clock, you know, when, when we have them up at six and at school by seven and they've eaten some sugary meal, that's, you know, and, and like, and they, they've, all they've had is coffee and blah, blah. And now they've had sleep and they're getting rested and then school's over by one. And look, they, they're, they're actually still doing, you know, they're on social media connecting with their friends and they're doing video games or they're outside or they're figuring it out. The, the cost is idle hands do the devil's work. And we have seen that as well, because now they've got, you know, eight hours in a day where before they had five and it was filled with homework. Now there's eight and it's not. And the other side of that is they're getting more sleep. So what, what's, what's this cost benefit? What are you guys seeing? How are we going to balance out idle time and the benefits to sleeping kids are eating and it's not bothering the teacher. Like what, how is this, what are, what are some of the, the, the cost payoffs? Yeah, it definitely puts more control in the hands of the student, which is a double-edged sword, yes. like, you're, like you're saying, is because it gives that flexibility where if a student doesn't have support from their teachers and from their parents or guardians, it could get ugly real quick because they're left I, to their I, own I devices. Say, if, if I had been able to do online school as a kid, my room would have always been clean because <laughs> I, if I could do dishes while I was doing podcasts, I would, but it would be so distracting, but I have to move around. So that's the kind of control that I would have benefited from, but not everybody's going to benefit with mm -hmm. me moving around the, the poor kid next to me who just has to focus on that one thing that's happening. is going to be distracted by me. And then the teacher says, Aaron, sit down. Did you take your medicine? And now I hate that teacher. So <laughs> like, like th this is, this is, this is the part that, how do we navigate this? How do we, what are these cost payoffs that we're still going? Well, this is weird. Yeah. Well, and I, I think you kind of nailed it on the head. Like if, if, you know, they're doing this online program, they can kind of have that flexibility to be that, you know, I'm, when I'm talking on the phone, I'm a pacer. That's just what I do, you know, so I get it. You know, you want to have that movement you want to have, and, and they have that flexibility to do that. If a kid learns by, yeah, listening as they're walking or having that movement, that's great. You know, part of, part of this extra time, I think, you know, I think what I've heard at least is through all of this is like, okay, now there's going to be this huge mental health concern because yeah, there's all this extra downtime and what's happening to, everyone's mental health, not only students, but adults, you know, because we have this 
this isolation and this all this going on and I think that's where there is the opportunity for you know parents to also get involved with their students and say look like we're gonna have a sit-down dinner and you know kind of creating some of that structure as far as like family time and connecting and you know so so that Routines. where there's these extra times yeah where it's this extra time in the day you know it's it's that opportunity to foster relationships and and that's also where experiential learning can come in hey like i finished my school but i'm super interested in maybe i want to be a music producer one day so cool i'm going to spend you know my extra 3 hours where i can just focus on you know researching record labels and artists and whatever else and and learning and actually preparing for their future you know so there's those opportunities that are in there as well you guys mentioned before that some of that idle time unschooling your child, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that homeschooling version of unschooling where you just say, you, you know, with this laptop kiddo, you have the library of Alexandria in front of you. Go find your passion yeah. and master it. And I'll give you school credit for it. Is that something that you guys are doing? It, is homework becoming unschooling where they're coming back and they're saying, yeah, I've been watching all these videos and, you know, Tony Hawk did a master class on skating and I was watching it and then I was outside practicing. You're like, credit, you know, <laughs> because I love that idea. Yeah. Is, is it realistic? I mean, I, I think so. I mean, obviously we have, you know, some restrictions just because of accreditation and whatnot. We need to make sure that the standards are still being met to issue credit. But yeah, if, if there's a kid who is involved with, you know, dance or, skateboarding or just any kind of physical activity we can absolutely award PE credit and help them meet you know that expectation for their graduation or you know like I said if they get an internship then we can offer work study credit you know and we'll have them do a couple supplemental things online just to make sure that they are kind of you know meeting those standards or assign a project education Yeah. yeah signing a project different things like that just making sure that yeah you're you're getting the boxes of what education requires but you're getting that real world experience, which has amazing value, you know, because you always, you hear the argument all the time. Well, when am I ever going to use algebra again? Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So we, we want kids to be passionate about education again. So if they have these, you know, activities that they can participate in where they're getting school credit and feeling like, okay, it's not a waste of my time. Like I'm actually doing what I want. It kind of generates that excitement for, academics in general. And so, so experiential learning and that unschooling is, is a part of what we do. You know, we work with a lot of groups and and things to award credit for like culinary arts. If they're helping cook meals all the time, Hey, guess what? Let's catch you some credit for that. You know, different activities. We're open to hearing ideas that the students have. So if a student comes to us and says, I'm really interested in this, is there a way that this can become credit Credit. for high school? Yeah. Let's have that conversation. Let's figure out a way to get you credit for doing something you love. So absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. When, when Cognia came to our facility and started looking at our curriculum, I had developed a lot of our curriculum. Horticulture and culinary is part of our curriculum. They get mm-hmm. Serve Safe certification, which is an online course that they can show, you know, proof of, proof of, uh, of learning. And a Hero's Journey, our, our entire English program is focused around the Hero's Journey and the archetypes, which is an, an archetypal system, not only Campbell's, but Jung's and an archetypal system that I founded and teach all over the world. Um, but life skills program, which was the one that we really had fun with, because that's where we answered the, the real world question. The life skills that I teach, one of the kids' favorites, favorite uh, classes that I teach is how to live in your car. And what's so cool about that is these are teenagers who say, you know, I'm just going to go live in my car. I'm just going to go. And I do live in my car. I, I, my wife and I have spent a year on the road living in a car. I know the ins and outs. Last night where we camped was absolutely free. And the first question in that class that I asked the kids is, what do you do with your poop? And of course, being middle schools and teenagers, they're very interested in the answer to that question because they hadn't thought about that. Because teens know A and they know Z. They know what they have and what they want. It's that B through Y that they have to fill in. One of the other life skills classes I teach is how to talk to cops. You know, to know your rights and how to talk to them so that you can maintain your rights and not get a billy club upside the head. The (laughs) other is how to live on your own. And it starts with me handing them a blank apartment and said, design your apartment and they all come back and then we do the budget and they're like i have no money left in fact i owe my landlord 700 dollars a month how did that happen (laughs) the real but 
but the, 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 the proof of learning, the fun, the dynamic nature that I think online school can provide with the amount of content that's on the internet, you can teach an entire curriculum just from videos you can find on YouTube as long as you can prove prove learning you know, yes. that there's 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 proof of of a growth and mm -hmm. objectives are met but now i want to come back to this meat and potatoes question because a big part of my connection with the kids is they're like oh god aaron's here he's gonna he's gonna teach us some crazy life skill you know i i have a whole one what do you do if you get fired and we literally the whole class is step by step of how you handle being fired and wow. what's going to happen on your resume and how you talk to a future employer about that. Now let's role play that. And it's fun and it's dynamic and they're interviewing each other. It's oh, it looks like this job happened short. Tell me what happened to the job. And the kids are like looking at their notes. Um, we decided to part ways, you know, and it's very fun and dynamic. And now I'm online and I've got no real connection. I'm seeing faces of other people that I don't really know. And what I know about them is not real. You don't know me because we're doing a video podcast. We don't know each other. We see each other. So what about the, the pure fact that between the ages of 12 and 25, my brain development is largely based on the social dynamic and influences that I am in physical proximity to. And without that, there's delays in my brain mm -hmm. uh, development. What the hell are we going to do about that? That is a great question. one of the questions that we are always asking. Because given our background in online education, where we started off in schools that had zero interaction with students, the staff had almost no interaction aside from a very impersonal live chat or emailing. Um, in fact, in some of the live chat situations, the live chat person didn't even use their real name. So it was, it was so impersonal and it was... Um, Students felt like they were talking to a robot, like nobody's really there, nobody really cares, so. So, and, and through that experience, you know, I mean, forget about even interacting with other students right now. You're not even interacting with your teacher at this point. Um, and so we're like, all right, this is a big problem. What can we do to help, you know, figure out a way to get some interaction going? And that's actually difficult in online learning. And we're constantly trying to find ways to do that. It's, it's very difficult. It's not the same as being in a classroom right there with people, you know, spitballing ideas and, you know, in that whole dynamic. So, it's, it's a constant challenge for us. The first thing that we decided to do is um, get rid of the impersonal live chat and try to find ways to interact with the student, at least from staff to student perspective. We start implementing at least weekly video calls with a student. So it's not even just a phone call. It's we, our teachers are looking the students in the face and we're talking to them. We're getting to know them. We're asking them what their passions are. We're trying to foster a relationship so that they feel like they have an adult advocate that's part of the school that actually cares about what they're doing. When we started that, the change in what we saw with our students was Nine. crazy. Um, they actually felt like somebody cared. And, um, you know, they, some of them might not have looked forward to, you know, like, oh, I got to talk to my teacher. But um, in the end, they felt more accountable. Um, it was easier to have conversations. Um, it just, overall, we saw a huge, huge change and shift in the way students were completing work and the amount of progress that they were making too. We sat down, we, we would set goals every week with students. We would um, we'd just try to nurture that and, and help them in that endeavor. Now, as far as interaction with other students, this is something we're still actively trying to figure out ways to do. It's something that we're constantly researching, talking to our board. We do have the opportunity to work with residential treatment centers like, like you guys and implement our program in those centers. So in that setting, it's very easy because you have a bunch of kids, right, you know, in the same classroom and it's, it's a lot easier to do collaboration and stuff like that. Now, where it becomes more difficult is with maybe some of your listeners who are parents of individual students who are looking at online learning and wondering, what is this going to look like for my kid? 
you know, we, we do have projects and things that we're implementing where the student goes and, and has a discussion with a, a peer or a friend or a family member, and we give the, the guidance and direction on how to, you know, go through and finish the project and have those conversations, whether it's like a debate, we have a debate project, we have stuff like that. So we're working on trying to implement more of that, but it's, it is difficult in an online setting, definitely. And yeah, we, like I said, we saw a night and day difference. I mean, there, even though it is this distance between, you know, the teacher and the student, as we're setting those weekly goals and we have those follow-ins with them, like, hey, how do you feel like you did this week? And they're giving us that feedback. And then we say, well, it looks like you got a 96 on your test. Like, you rocked it. You know, even hearing that is just, you can physically see the kid being boosted, like, oh, maybe I am doing something right. And so a little bit of that connection comes back. And I mean, the way of the world is that social interaction is continuing to decline because of social media, because of text messaging, because of technology, you know? And so I think it's going to be a question for everybody of, yeah, how can we still foster, you know, these human connections through an online platform? And, and even the simple things might be the big things in the end, because again, you know, you're saying, Hey, you did awesome. Like we're really proud of you. And just hearing that, from an actual person instead of just, oh, good job on your paper and just reading it. You know, there, there's also some power there because we've received that student feedback where they're like, hey, I feel like somebody cares. You guys are there cheering me on and I really appreciate that. And for us, it's so exciting when the kid comes on and, you know, the week before they were morose and just mad and I hate school. <laughs> and then the next week they come on and, hey, how'd you do this week? And they, reached my goals and they're just so excited about it and for us that's the payoff that's where the excitement comes in and having that connection helps with that I think I know from talking to my brother uh, who's an elementary school teacher third grade um, I, I'm from a family of teachers that his workload has not decreased and in fact no. <laughs> he's finding he's having to work more because his own kids are home and needing yep. his attention. His wife is a, is a teacher as well, has, you know, it works for her, her parents, but has also been helping educate the kids at home. So these kids are online school all day and then at home with their teacher parents all day. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, I'm noticing another double-edged sword that's a potential. This one-on-one -on -one contact that you're talking about, though it's, it's through Skype, teachers are giving more attention to individual students because they're being required to check in. Mm -hmm. And I see um, districts and systems saving money by not having to pay overhead of facilities and facility maintenance and facility upkeep and equipment and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then loading more students into a teacher's virtual classroom. Mm -hmm. So teachers aren't going to work any less hard. Mm -hmm. Students look, it looks like there's just a change that's going to take place. But it also looks like that it could it could turn that there's there's going to be no way for a teacher if they keep loading in if if districts are saving we can save money we can ask for less taxes can go down which is always appeals to adult mm -hmm. yeah. but now a teacher has 80 kids in a virtual classroom and they can't check in on 80 kids in yeah. a month especially when they got five different classes of 80 kids no <laughs> where do you see that going i mean is this is this going to get worse before it gets really dialed in or do we already know the mistakes we've made with with actual live classrooms and we're going to avoid them here you know i i think all teachers are in a new boat right now you know nobody saw covid coming as far as hey now everybody's supposed to be home and like you said you know working parents are now forced to be home as well and then they're home with their kids and you know, just the, the sheer fact of, hey, we have, you know, one internet and two laptops, but I have four kids. How are we going to stagger school? You know, and, and same thing with teachers, like, oh my goodness, like now, yeah, now I have to do all these individual check-ins versus just having them all in the classroom at the same time and saying, okay, good job, good job, you know, kind of checking the boxes. And so it is a lot of time for teachers. And I think there is going to be a bit of a learning curve, you know, like a lot of these schools just had to basically digitize all of their content and like that in and of itself is a process, right? And, and so I think teachers, like I have a lot of teachers friends and I've just kind of been asking them like, hey, how's the transition been? And yeah, they said, well, I'm working till, you know, nine o'clock at night now and I'm putting in all these extra hours and like, but I still want my kids to succeed. And, you know, I'm doing these check-ins and then it's like, 
I'm there and the parent is kind of involved trying to give the answer to the kid. And I'm like, hey, no, I'm asking the kid, you know, <laughs> and like it's the, the elementary level. This was from an elementary level friend. And she said, I had to kind of tell the mom, like, well, no, I want to hear what your kid's answer is, you know. So it's, it's definitely an interesting dynamic. And I think it is going to be a bit of a learning curve. But I think as all of us work together to innovate, you know, it'll, it'll come together. But it is definitely going to be a learning process for sure. Yeah, I, I would agree. And for us, since we have a little bit different model, we've placed limits on how many students our teachers yes. can have. So where they don't really have a choice, like the brick and mortar schools that are now transitioning to this, that's a, a whole different world than what we're operating in. We're, we were an online school from the start. So our model is built around that where now these schools, it's way harder for them because they're used to that dynamic. They're, you know, this is just brand new to most. And then, like you said, uh, what about the ones that, that aren't very good with technology? Yeah. Now they're having to learn technology on top of all of this. And so um, I definitely think schools like us can be a support and a, a resource to schools who are trying to figure this out as well. But um, teacher sanity is going to be important through all of this and not making sure, making sure that they're not being overloaded and having too much expectation placed on them with connecting with the students and then also providing the instruction and also doing all the grading and all this. Like ours is set up to where all the multiple choice is auto graded. So that's one less thing that our, our teachers have to worry about. You don't have to sit and, you know, have an answer key. It's that part's auto graded. So it, it's the way our school is set up. It's alleviating some of that burden of the mundane tasks where they can focus on actually making a connection with the student and providing the extra help and the tutoring where needed. Um, so yeah, definitely the models are going to be different. And I don't envy the teachers who were, were thrust into this situation yeah. right now. Let's, let's talk about some of the, the, the housekeeping stuff as we start to wrap around to the end here. Um, let's talk about cost. First of all, and, and I don't know the answer to this, my assumption is, is that, you know, if your kid continues with the online high schools and public school programming that's being created, that your taxes are paying for it, that's free. I, there's always costs when your kid go to school, whether you pay taxes or not. Um, you guys are private or you guys are funded by the state or county or how, how does your financing work? We are a private school, so parents, yeah, do you have to pay tuition for their students to attend the program? Okay, and and what are the what's a range of costs of of private online schooling programs? Ooh, we did we did uh, do a lot of research on this. Um, we fall actually right now we fall toward the lower end. There are some private schools that are thousands and thousands of dollars a year. There's a oh. very wide, wide range, believe there it or is. not. Um, we, the, the yeah, I got a question that, about that. What, what, what possibly could an online school that's thousands and thousands of dollars a year offer that a lower end program of people who are heart-centered and want the, the holistic best for the kid and integrative, what are they offering or are, they, are those the big promise credit mills? Um, I think a lot of it is prestige. Um, some of these are ones that are through universities that are offering also like an online um, high school as huh. part of that. Um, so I think that's a lot of it is just prestige. Um, so the prestige pressure that's on students and parents for, yeah. <laughs> for high school and getting into college, that's not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so but to, answer, to okay. really answer that question, I, I don't know. I don't know why there's such a wide range in cost. Um, we probably should charge more for the services that we offer when comparing other schools that we, you know, we, we provide a lot to our students. We really right. do. We, the, the plan that we kind of push most students toward is our, just our monthly plan because it's a flat payment and students can take anywhere from one to six courses at a time. And they don't have to worry about paying per course or what the time limit is on, on the class. They just work on their courses at their own pace. And we're constantly pushing them to try to find uh, what their full potential is without them reaching burnout. And so we're continually pushing the student along. But as soon as they complete one class, they can add another one in its place. They don't have to wait for the start of a semester. Yeah. It's open enrollment all year round. So if a student comes to us partway through a semester and they're like, hey, I need to make up this credit or I need to 
start this class. It doesn't matter if it's March or whatever, you know, we can easily place them in a course that's going to fit their needs. Um, so yeah, for us, as far as tuition goes, we charge $195 per month per student for basically unlimited access to classes, uh, which falls toward the lower end of the spectrum of pricing. And as long as we can sustain that, you know, we're going to keep it that way. We're not looking, we're not out to just make a buck off of our families. Like we actually want to make something that's affordable. As long as it's sustainable for our school, we're going to keep our prices as low as we can with still offering the same quality. So I think yeah. that's kind of where we stand in that area. You can definitely find schools that are cheaper. Um, yeah. Sometimes you get what you pay for and you're going to find schools that are double and, and triple our cost. It's just, yeah. you know, it depends on where you're looking. So I think there's a wide range for families of all budgets out there. And just because a school is reasonably priced doesn't necessarily make them a bad school. Just do your homework, do your yeah, research, look research. into it, find out, are they going to just put my child into a class and off Let you go, go. Yeah. never to be heard from again until the end of the class. And it's like, oh, wait, you failed the course. What happened? You know, there were no check-ins. There, were, there was no accountability. So definitely uh, to parents, make sure you do your research on the school before jumping into any online program out there. Yeah. And, and especially if they are, you know, hey, my kid's going to need more connection. They're relationship-based. They need that extra layer of support. You know, that's, that's one thing to consider. And, and again, kind of going back to Sarah and I's origin story, that was part of the reason why we founded Mountain Point was because we recognize the crucial role that relationships play. And we we thrive and we get our energy from those student interactions, from the parent interactions, helping them, figuring out, you know, putting together an academic plan and saying, okay, what are your goals? How do you want to do this? What are your plans after high school? How can we be a support to help you get there? You know, and, and making sure that it's that interconnectedness. And so, yeah, just, just doing the research, you know, you know, your kid, your kid knows what they're looking for, kind of have those conversations, do the research, figure out, yeah, what, what online program is going to be the best because there are a lot out there for sure. I, uh, as you guys were talking, I, you know, I'm kind of developing a how to vet an online school list that we can review right before uh, we, we, we sign off. I, wanted, I want to make sure parents have a way to reach out to you guys, find your website, call you guys directly, email you, all that. Um, but I have one, one question. You, you said earlier, Angeli, you said, you know, no one saw this coming. And, and it's true. And the, the issue that I think is going to increase the popularity of this particular show is no one knows when it's going either. Exactly. Like, like we just, everybody is like, ah. what do we do? <laughs> you know, and, and then we hear on the news 10 years, like yeah. you really, this, this could go on for 10 years. People are oh, no, well, our, our second bump, our third wave. And, and like, we just don't know. And, don't. and unprecedented is now an overused term <laughs> when it comes to the experience we're facing. Yes. Is this, is this the future of school? Do you guys see this, that online school is the future of school? Are we going to watch a major shift from big buildings that have huge tax overhead to kids learning and being educated while they're at home? Yeah, you know, I, I think so. I think online education is the wave of the future and we're seeing it not only impacting education, but businesses in general, you know, like they've all been sent home. And so these businesses are even thinking, hey, we can eliminate our overhead. Everybody can work from home, you know, and it's, I really do think that that's kind of the direction we're headed for safety reasons, for cost reasons, you know, whatever the motivation is. Um, and, and because of technology, I think technology has kind of, you know, created that space where, hey, like, we can work from home, we don't need to go do this, or, you know, and, and like you said, cutting budget and, and saving money, you know, and corporate America is all about saving a buck, right? <laughs> and so I think that's going to apply to education as well, you know, it's, it's going to, and, and it is kind of the wave of the future. And so it's just up to, to online schools like ourselves to just, yeah, figure out innovative ways to help these students then become successful adults. And I think that's why we put an emphasis on the experiential learning because we do want it to be that holistic approach, you know, like you're going to go crazy if you're sitting behind a computer eight hours a day. So get outside, go do something, experience life, and we'll capture some credit for you for doing that because we recognize, you know, the importance of mental health and having that 
growth mindset of being able to, hey, I want to do this in the future. Okay, cool. How can we apply that back to your academics and make sure you're excited about it, you're getting engaged? And I think that's going to be the challenge moving forward for any online program because, yeah, if, if we're in this for 10 years, guess what? That's, that's where it's headed. <laughs> you know, we're going to, and, and it might not be that it's a full 10 years, but it's going to be, hey, we'll go to school from, you know, August to September. And when this wave hits, guess what? You're home from October till March, you know, and, and it's going to be that interesting dynamic. So kind of figuring it out. And, and like you said, you know, we're happy to be a resource to just help parents navigate this and figure out what is going to be best for their students. All right. So before we, we get into how to connect with you guys, this, this, is, this is the list I came up with based on what you guys were saying about how to vet an online school. So Perfect. I want you to make sure to add to it. Um, do, when, when you're looking at online schools and making a decision, here's some things to consider. Do, do they do check-ins with your kids? What's their accreditation? Are they a credit mill? Read the reviews. Uh, what's the cost? Is it affordable? Is it sustainable for you, your budget as a parent? What are the support levels? Like, like if your kid has an IEP or a 405, a 504, 405, 504, 504, 504 yeah. um, can they accommodate that? Um, what's your kid's learning style? Will they be able to clean their room and do the dishes while the math teacher is talking? Because I'd have gotten a better grade had they let me do that. But I was supposed <laughs> yeah. to sit still and be quiet. And that's just not who I am. Um, what is the extra credit and extracurricular opportunities that they have? Are there some personal passion pursuit credits that, that your child can have? Because by God, you want to watch your kid's grade point average go up. Let them learn something they're effing interested in. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Amen. Yes. You know, yes. I might <laughs> Oh, it, it, it's yes. just so much that can be accomplished. I mean, what was that? The Oregon Trail? Was that the old video oh, game yes. that came out? Like how many kids love that experience? Oh, it's yeah. like, uh, you're teaching them history. Like it's exactly. really simple. I um, always died of dysentery. So I just, you know, I, it wasn't my jam. <laughs> oh. And then the teacher, teacher's experience, like, you know, what the, the teachers that they have are, are, you know, are they experienced? What are their degrees? What's mm -hmm. their background? Where, where do they come from? Um, and then the experiential opportunity, because that is one of the things that the brick and mortar schools lost through budget cuts, through knowledge being deemed more important than your body, um, the, the arts being cut because it's, it's, you know, cheaper to pay a math teacher than it is to fund an art department. And mm -hmm. that, that sucks for both the math teacher and the art department, mm -hmm. and most importantly for the kids. Um, so this experiential piece and, and how do they create an experiential environment online? And that really, that's a brain twister. So what did I miss? What are some other things you want parents to look at? You know, I'm, I'm thinking that's a pretty comprehensive list. I wasn't like thinking, oh, we should add this, but yeah. Yeah, I think, I think you nailed it. I think, yeah, I think you did. You picked up all the main points that we spoke about during this conversation. And if parents can really focus on those things, they will definitely be on the right track to choosing a school that's appropriate for their family. So yeah. I and I want it. parents, I just had a parent voice come up in my head is what about transferring credits? That's where the accreditation of the school is yes. going to come in. Yes. And that's what you've got to pay attention to because, mm -hmm. you know, when we were, when we were before our accreditation, when we would do our classes, we would issue credits, but it was up to every individual high school, whether they were going to accept them. If you yeah. are nationally accredited, they have to. If they are regionally accredited through CDE, the Colorado Department of Education or something like that, they have to. Mm -hmm. So that's something that you want to look in. When Absolutely. you get into some of the private credit mills, it may not transfer if they're not accredited. They might have oh, yeah. the exactly. coolest content in the world yeah. Yeah. that no high school will accept. Exactly. Absolutely. Well, and, and I think that's part of too, like the parents can do their due diligence by you know, having a conversation with the schools and asking those questions, you know, hey, my kid's plan is to, maybe they just want to take a couple classes with me, but then they're going to transfer back to their school or whatever the situation may be. And, you know, Sarah and I try to go kind of above and beyond where if we know a kid's coming to us for a short time and they're transferring back to their high school, we will connect with the school counselor there and say, hey, this is the class they're planning to take we want to ensure that you're going to accept those credits on our end. Here's our accreditation. You know, we kind of 
do that piece for them so that they can are expecting it as well so that you don't run into those situations where oh are these credits going to transfer is this going to happen and so you know we we try to keep that open communication as well with schools and and kind of again those check-ins with students of saying okay what are your plans you know what college do you plan to go to what what are you looking at and, and kind of helping guide them through that as well because it's also a process of okay you're planning to go to college like here's some here's some resources for you as far as when you need to take the SAT or the ACT and you know kind of giving that college prep packet so that they're also prepared for those next steps because part of our mission and our vision is that we want to create successful adults <laughs> so that they can thrive in life later as well. So we try to kind of incorporate that in, in our interactions with students as well. All right. So let's talk about how parents are going to find you guys to get more information about Mountain Points and uh, 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 follow up and just begin their vetting and search. So let them have it. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, oh, website is a great place to start. We have a blog going, so we try to touch on popular topics and things like that. Our website is mountainpointacademy.com. Um, you can always reach us by phone if you want to call directly to the office. Our phone number is 801-653-9649. Uh, we also have social media and yeah, so you can you can find us on Facebook. Just search Mountain Point Academy. Um, we also have an Instagram account, and it's at the M P A Way is our handle on Instagram. And yeah, we and Sarah said, you know, like she said, we have the blog, the website. We're always YouTube, happy to have a phone LinkedIn. conversation. We're kind of yeah, we everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> we just don't have a Twitter. We're we're not you know in the Twitterverse, but other than that, you can yeah find us all over the place. <laughs> Four out of five of the big five, uh, I think, counts for a lot. Parents, make right. sure you go to mountainpointacademy.com. Phone number is eight zero one six five three nine six four nine, and uh, and do your work, parents. This is if this is the way of future, then uh, and find your way through it, and that's going to come from vetting. Doing remember as Gen Xers a lot of millennials, but mostly Gen Xers and the older generations, we were always taught to check the source. So always check the source, go to the source, find out everything you can about the information you're receiving. Parents, there's two things that came up for me through this conversation that I think could be quickly overlooked. Number one, we are purifying the influences influences lead to experiences that lead to thoughts that lead to feelings that lead to actions that lead to results when i meet a parent who's calling fire mountain they're saying my kid got busted at school with a bag of pot and the resource officer is is in the principal and there they're going to be expelled and we react to that but those are just actions and results when we really go back and check the influences i think we're looking at a benefit of online schooling here is that we get to purify the influence because they're not going to have the energy of the other students around them and what they do in the hallways in between classes, because that's not there. They're at home. Um, that's purifying some influences. And if you really vet the teachers, instead of just having to send them to the neighborhood school, because that's where they are and that's where the, those teachers are and that's where those teachers have always been, you can actually have more control over the influences your child have. Um, and purifying the influences is the absolute root of your child's behavior. It's the influences in their life. And this is why there's such impetus on parents doing their work in recovery when their child is struggling because you are the prime influence in their life. And now even more so that they're at home with you and they are literally feeding off your energy all day and not also the energy of teachers and other students. So you have to purify your influence on your child. So that's number one that I'm taking away from this show. And number two is, it suddenly dawned on me as these two women were talking, these two educators were talking about their school. And I was like, dang, this is a good school. And my mind started to say, I wish I could have sent my kid there. And then I realized it didn't matter where I lived. I could. It doesn't matter that, that I'm in that neighborhood or I'm in that district or I'm in that state or I'm in that country. I could send my kids to a school that I liked for my kids and had a teaching style that worked for my kids' learning style. I cannot think of a greater benefit to online schooling 
then my power of choice has just increased as to where my child goes to school. We cannot miss that one. So big thanks to Anjali and Sarah. We're definitely gonna do another show to talk about how you can best support your children going through online school. Parents, if you are wondering if your child needs residential treatment program, uh, go to firemountainprograms.com and take our online survey. Call up, talk to our admissions person. It's free, ask the questions. We're gonna help you find out the truth because I'd rather have empty beds than the wrong kids in the beds. And that's our philosophy at Fire Mountain. You can, you can also check out if you wanna do parent coaching and, and see if we can head this off with the past and you wanna do parent coaching with me. Go to firemountainprograms.com slash coaching and check out the videos I have there and the information I have about doing one-on-one -on -one parenting coaching with me. My thanks to Deepin Productions for the producing of the show and the music in this show and taking out all my ums and ahs and any background sound like helicopters taking off because I'm parked right next to an airport right now doing this show. And remember parents, take care of yourselves first, your adult relationship second, and your children third, because in that way you're gonna do your best work with your children and you're gonna purify the influence. And that is the root of your child's behavior, is their influences. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Beyond Risk and Back, and we will talk again next week.